Hey, it's Bob Stoffer. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Oilers Now ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. We return to Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer. Brought to you by Digitex. Office supplies at huge savings? Yeah, Digitex does that. D I G I T E X dot C A on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. 135 in Edmonton. Brendan Escott, Cody Jansen with you. Oilers Now. Royal Pizza, pizza, pasta, and so much more. Edmonton owned and operated for over 50 years now. For a menu and a list of their 13 Edmonton and area locations, you can go online to royalpizza.ca or download the Royal Pizza app from the App Store. Sounds like we're good to go with our NHL insider, John Shannon. His appearance is brought to you twice a week by Legacy Heating and Cooling. Pay no overtime rates on their 24-7 service repairs. That's how you build a legacy, Legacy Heating and Cooling. John, are you back in uh, in the Toronto area today? You're still in Halifax. I, uh, I am indeed. I am indeed back in Toronto in the hot, humid, 35-degree weather uh, with 75% humidity. Wow. We uh, <laughs> Conversely, about 7 degrees we got down to here last what? night. So the fall is rolling in oh. to Edmonton for, uh, for whatever well, it's it worth. It ain't rolling here. in here, I can tell you that. <laughs> the nights get cold. The days are still getting warm. But uh, the, the hockey newswire has not been all that warm in the last 10 days or so, John. But I appreciate you jumping on the show here. Let's just uh, explore the OEG announcing finally the vaccination policy for fl- uh, fans and employees reaction very mixed to this as we expected it would be but essentially leaves the option instead of providing proof of full vaccination to present a negative test to enter the game as long as that test was conducted within 48 hours of the uh, of the game start time so this is pretty well what we're going to see right across the NHL by the time it's all said and done is how I feel about it what do you think well, I think in the end, the Oilers are moderate compared to some teams. Uh, when you think about that, uh, some teams are going to tell you you have to be fully vaccinated, and there's not even a question of whether you can you can have a a, positive, a negative COVID test in 48 hours. Uh, to me, the organization is being very respectful for those people who haven't been vaccinated and still want to enjoy the hockey team. Uh, but but in in essence, this is just trying to make sure and guarantee. Uh, uh, the, the most safe place to watch a hockey game uh, at a very, very difficult time in, uh, in, 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 in our world, let alone Edmonton or Alberta or Canada. Less strict than Calgary's measures, less strict than Vancouver's and Winnipeg's. Yeah. It sounds like yeah. Toronto will still have that sort of flex option if you want to have that negative test as well. But that's for fans. Employees will have to have full vaccination two weeks prior to uh, September 28th, which is Oilers versus Seattle. As far as the players and, and staff, uh, like the hockey operations staff and that kind of thing goes, what are the limitations on what would be mandated and what would have to be left up to individual choice? Well, uh, a, a mandated 
vaccination for the players would have to be collectively bargained. Um, which means it would have to be part of the CBA, which means that uh, in order for the players to give in to this, uh, they would probably have to get something in return in a negotiation. Uh, and I just don't see that happening. I don't see the league negotiating. What I do see the league doing is, is creating um, what I would describe as punitive measures for players that aren't fully vaccinated, uh, that perhaps they can't stay in certain areas of the hotel, they can't train with players. Um, they will have, there will be a list of mandated protocols for non-vaccinated players, which is still being negotiated between the Players Association and the NHL. Do you think that teams would end up even if it was, say, financially on the hook, the way that we're seeing the Edmonton Elks potentially losing out on paychecks in that sense, would it, as far as trying to get compliance without actually putting a needle in everybody's arm, you know, and accountability within each individual team, is that sort of how you see this policy coming together as they totally. do draft something in the next couple of weeks, we hope? <laughs> Yeah. I, yes. Um, I think it'll be. Uh, I think it'll be pure peer pressure. Uh, it, it will be uh, if a player elects not to get vaccinated, how his teammates will view him, uh, and 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 will there be enough pressure amongst teammates in order to make sure that that the that the whole roster is vaccinated, so as to not affect uh, anything once camp starts. Uh, I, I think that that in the end is the only way. I mean, if you look what the Elks are going through, if you look what the NFL is going through, the biggest difference there, Brendan, is that all those, you know, most of the players uh, in the NFL and the CFL is non-guaranteed money. Um, they're at much more risk uh, of losing their jobs if, if they don't uh, if they don't agree to the protocols than the players in baseball, basketball, and hockey that have guaranteed contracts. So um, it, it's it's a it's a different. It really it, it, it as much as we want to compare it, it is a different landscape between the CFL, NFL, and the other three sports. As far as protecting the the players, you know, and airflow, and I, I don't even know if this is worth the conversation because you know this is this is for medical experts to ultimately decide what other measures are going to need to be in place. But I think in terms of protecting, you know, the players from what could be an airborne contagion, so to speak, inside a closed building versus going to a CFL game at Commonwealth when it's all open air. You know, I, I, where do you go with this question other than to say we will probably know within i would say two weeks sort of what more clarity on the on the front of pro protocols for players protocols from the nhl and the nhlpa we're seeing what fans can and can't do now which is fantastic and answering a lot of questions but we're still getting a lot of uncertainty from the fans as well as to what it's going to look like for the players and you know what that ultimately means in terms of protecting them well and and, and you touched on it a little earlier brendan uh, it's not just the Players Association uh, and it's not just the NHL, it's the public health authorities. You know, there, you know, these, these are negotiations amongst the, those two groups, but also with, with the, with the, the, the health experts, uh, both at the provincial and federal level in this country and the CDC and the states 
and the counties uh, in, uh, in the United States. Let's remember way back in March of 2020, um, when uh, the first county in, in, and the first public health authority in North America shut down sports was in San Jose, in Santa Clara County. Uh, it wasn't the state. It wasn't the Sharks. It was Santa Clara County that said, you know what, you, there can be no large gatherings indoors anymore. Uh, and, and so this is, this is such a complex issue. Um, that uh, you're right, we, we probably shouldn't delve into it too much, but there, there are just so many layers uh, to deal with uh, getting approvals from the, 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 the province, from the city, uh, you know, Dr. Hinshaw, I mean, everybody is involved at, at a certain point, and, 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 you know, the provincial government has a huge responsibility, and, and the responsibility in the end isn't just to the hockey clubs, uh, the, the responsibility is to the public first. Chatting with our NHL insider, John Shannon. I'll ask you this on the, the Vladimir Tarasenko front. It sounds like St. Louis is still trying to shop the Russian. Is there a logical destination or two at this point that you can see, or is it going to be a struggle for this team? And with that $7.5 million cap, it, I'm sure that's part of the reason why he hasn't been moved already, considering he has publicly asked for a trade. Well, first of all, I don't think the Blues are disappointed that he asked for a trade. Uh, I think they've learned they can play without him, and he, he's probably been a bit of a distraction. Um, at the same time, uh, I, all you have to do is, I think, go around the NHL and look at the teams that have a bit of cap space under the 81-5 and also are in dire need of goal scoring. Um, you know, what team, what team can do that? Um, you know, Doug Armstrong, I'm sure, is prepared to eat a bit of the salary. Probably not as much as every other team would anticipate, but uh, uh, I, I'm sure that Doug would eat some salary in order to, to make the Tarasenko issue go away. Um, you know, and, you know, this, this is a difficult time for a player to... Uh, be wanting out of a certain situation. Uh, you know, Jack Eichel's in the same boat, albeit there are so many more health issues with Eichel and, 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 and even more money with Eichel. Um, but uh, in a flat cap world, in a pandemic world, uh, it's difficult to, to think that a player is going to try to and going to improve his situation uh, by demanding a trade or wanting out. Always appreciate your thoughts, John. We've got another guest we're going to sneak in here, but uh, we'll chat next week, okay? All right, Brendan. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it. That is John Shannon, our NHL insider for Legacy Heating and Cooling. One last time out here. We'll be back on the other side with Todd Molesky talking Dylan Holloway of the Bakersfield Condors. Hey, maybe of your Edmonton Oilers. We'll see how camp goes. This is Oilers Now. Brendan Escott with you this Wednesday afternoon and we're going to head south of the border and check in with somebody very familiar with the game of Oilers uh, first round pick from 2020 that is Dylan Holloway and for that we'll connect with Todd Molesky from the Wisconsin State Journal Todd you're on with Brendan how's it going today 
doing great. How are you? Excellent. Appreciate you taking the time. And hey, this is a, a pretty exciting player we've got in this Oilers system. Uh, familiar to the market in the sense that he played as junior a couple of seasons with the Okotoks Oilers. And so the Alberta Junior League got a sneak peek of what he could do. We know Holloway's freshman season in Wisconsin maybe wasn't the points production that we would have expected, but a huge leap in year two for him in the NCAA. And I'd like to get your thoughts, Todd, on what sort of the differences were in his game and where you saw the biggest strides made for Holloway in year one to year two. Well, I look back to when he started here. He he came to school as a 17-year-old, and you know he he turned 18 pretty quickly. I think before they actually started playing games his freshman year. But I mean, that's a lot to ask to make that jump into playing against you know 23, 24-year-old sometimes when you're 17, barely barely 18. And and I think looking at it from that perspective, his freshman year he came in, he he used his size well. I thought he just didn't necessarily have the finishing touch right away that uh, I think people thought he would at that level. And now it started to develop second half, you know, maybe the last month, month and a half of his freshman season, but we will, really did see it turn around in, in, in his sophomore year. And I think a lot of it was he just seemed more comfortable, seemed to understand it, knew where he was starting from and knew where he needed to go. The, the, the big thing that was, that was interesting there was that he played two games with Wisconsin in November at the start of the season. Obviously, the season was delayed. Then he was gone for you know a month and a half at World Junior Camp. And then he comes back to Wisconsin and just goes on this tear. Um, I, I think 21 points in eight games, something like that, playing um, you know as, as a second-line center. And that was just a... Uh, just a remarkable stretch out of him and and really kind of put him uh, in the position that a lot of us thought he was going to be. So you're saying that the success came down the middle of the ice. Now, I think that in a perfect world for the Oilers, Holloway would project long-term as a centerman. Obviously, a lot easier transition from level to level when you're talking about a winger just because of the, the less defensive uh, responsibility yeah. that comes with it. Now, uh, did you see enough in that 200-foot game of Holloway that you think he could project down the road as as a or not necessarily a defensive centerman, but somebody who can be trusted in that role? Well, I think that's that's a lot of the position that they put him in at Wisconsin, and so we saw it. I just I just would like to see it at a higher level. I think that's the thing that you have to take into consideration. He was he was asked to do a lot of uh, a lot of the important faceoffs for Wisconsin, um, and he did a, a pretty good job with it. Um, but you take that up to the next level, to the AHL, to the NHL. That's a, that's a whole different animal uh, when you're asking someone to do that there. And so I. I, I'm, I, I would like like to see him, you know, how he handle that. I, I, you know, understand that's probably not something that's a, a near term thing for him, uh, but I, I think he could do it with a little bit of, uh, you know, with with the right coaching, with the right uh, patience uh, to let it develop, kind of like he had here. I mean, there was a lot expected of him early, and but they still kind of let him feel his way through. Uh, his first year, you know, he's playing alongside Cole Caulfield and Alex Turcotte, uh, Keandre Miller that first year. Um, you know, there were a lot of guys kind of feeling their way into it. And they, they gave him the, the room to do that while they were still obviously really good players that year. What can you tell me about Holloway's relationship with his teammates, with, with Tony Granato, the coach of the program, and how well he fit in in, in that sense of things? Well, Tony Granato, you know, said uh, so often that he just, 
does whatever we ask him to do. Doesn't complain, doesn't, you know, never makes waves that way. And so I think the Oilers are getting a, a guy that will be good in the room. Uh, he's, he's humble. I mean, he's, he's a guy that doesn't say a lot um, and, and, and might take him a little while to become a, you know, a talker in the room and those kind of things. But I don't know that that's going to be asked of him right away either. So uh, that that's one of those things where you give him a year, you give him two years, and he's going to fit in really well with a room. By the end of his second year here, uh, they counted on him for so much more than, than just going out there and, you know, winning face-off, scoring goals, you know, dishing pucks on the power play. They, they counted on him to be a, a vocal guy. And he, he did fill that role when it, when it was needed. Chatting with Todd Molesky, he covers the uh, Wisconsin Badgers for the Wisconsin State Journal. When you watch Dylan Holloway, when you had that opportunity, Todd, what stood out to you most about the players' game? I think he just he understands what he can do with his body. And he has a little bit of grit. And it, it, it sometimes turns into a lot of grit. And I think that's... You know, the, the the best players know what they can do well, and they go out and do it all the time. He's he's a guy that knows what he can do well, and he's getting to a point where he can do it all the time. And I think, you know, you give him a few years, he'll, he'll be a guy that you can turn to in a lot of situations. You could turn to him penalty killing if you needed to. You could, you know, he, he was amazing on the power play here, uh, you know, as, as part of just a, a group that, uh, they put five forwards out on their top power play and scored at 31%, and that was uh, in, and and didn't give up much on on the defensive side in responsibilities that way either. And he was part of that. He he was accepting of of what he needed to do, and um, you know he's he's just he's confident enough to do it too. That's that's the other part of the thing for young guys is uh, you've got to be confident going into a new situation where you know you're younger than a lot of people and. There's a lot of attention on you, and I think he's going to be fine with that. You can take off the Holloway hat for half a second, but keep your Big Ten hat on. The Michigan (laughs) Wolverines, I can't let you go without at least bringing up this year's rendition of the Michigan Wolverines because on paper, I've never seen a collegiate roster as loaded as that, certainly not in the modern era. What are your expectations of this group here, and how do you see Mm -hmm. that that division shaking down? You're right. It, it's hard to think of, you know, going into a season, a group that had as many big names as, as Michigan does uh, going into the season. Um, you know, it, it's hard to, to see them doing anything but just being a, a team full of stars. Now, does that mean they're going to win every game? No. I mean, that that's, you know, stars don't always win games. It's, it's teams that come together that win games. So as long as they can do that, They'll be just fine, but that's a there's an if there. Uh, I think everyone loves the talent on Michigan's team, and not just those first round picks. They've got a lot of guys that are good depth guys, um, but there's only one puck on the ice too sometimes, and so that, all the time, and sometimes that doesn't always uh, work out. We saw that a couple of years ago at Wisconsin, where you know you've got Holloway, Caulfield, Turcott, Miller. Uh, Lance Weisbach. It it, it it didn't necessarily mesh right away. Uh, and it, it costs them in the long run at Wisconsin. Uh, I, I would tend to give Michigan the benefit of the doubt that they're going to uh, figure things out. It'll be a lot of fun to watch. Todd, this was a lot of fun to talk with you. I hope we get a chance to again and enjoy the rest of your summer here, okay? Sounds good. Thank you. All right. Todd Molesky out of the Wisconsin State Journal to wrap up the Wednesday edition of Oilers Now. That's promising to hear. I I mean, if there's one intangible you want in a hockey player, to me, it's coachability. 
you need to be able to adapt to what your coach is trying to put you out there to do. And if that's his MO and he's got the power forward type body, then we might have a future NHL producer on our hands. And that's just, that's not some parent on the bench giving him high praise from the bench. I mean, Wisconsin's got one of the best coaches in all of college hockey, right? Yeah, it's Tony Granato, man. That's that's no slouch, simply put. This day in Oilers history is brought to you by New West Travel. September 17th, you can travel a private WestJet charter round trip to Vancouver with an open bar, just $1.99. Details at newwesttravel.com. On this day, 1991, Eero Pankarainen, born in, you're going to make me pronounce Finnish towns now. I think yep. it's La Visa. He signed as a free agent with the Oilers in 2014. Pankarainen's only NHL actions come with the Oilers where he registered 23 points in 134 games before departing for the KHL in 2018. Euro Pakarainen. Yeah. And and those are the types of players that in past installments of Oilers management and past draft philosophies and frankly it might have been you know more spread across the league that same way but those are the types of players who were part of the Oilers system that never materialized I do not get the same sense when I look at players like Lavoie even some of the guys that weren't drafted as high as Lavoie that are in the system now they seem like more sure bets than a player like Eero Pekarainen this day in uh, Oilers history is brought to you by New West Travel again September 7th 17th is when you will travel a private WestJet charter round trip down to Vancouver with an open bar. Just $1.99. Details at newwesttravel.com. Let me dig up here what Reed Wilkins has on his show tonight. He's back in the big chair for Inside Sports. Well, hey, Cam Moon's going to be on the show. You better get used to that because he's going to be on the show with us the rest of the week. Mooner back in town. Excited to have him back on our show tomorrow. But you'll hear him tonight on Inside Sports. Also the story of Moose Jaw Warriors scout and quadriplegic Justin Rayner. Should be a good one. Six to eight tonight on 630, Chad. Uh, listen, a typical Thursday show, we'd have Kevin Weeks on for our friends at Canadian Power Pack, Alberta's leader in electrical solar construction and service, electrical prefabrication and solar. Kevin Weeks still enjoying the summertime. He'll be back in a couple of weeks. We'll be back tomorrow, but not before we send it to a global news weather traffic update with Kevin Robertson, Rob Breckenridge from 2 to 3, and then it's Jay Lynn on 6.30 Chet Afternoon. So long, everybody. Oilers Now with Bob Stoffer, Weekdays at noon on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chet.